As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. The Meaning of Life and the Cross. A talk by Thomas Shushchak at the Immaculata Mission School 2018, held at Jane Franklin Hall in Hobart, Tasmania. I want to start by asking a quick question. Can everyone please raise their right hand? Everyone? Fantastic. I just wanted to control, make sure you can do that. Back down. This is the actual question I want to ask. Raise your hand if the world revolves around you, if you're the centre of the universe. Great, this is a good start. We had some maybes, but... The quick answer is no, the world does not revolve around you and you're not the centre of the universe. Um, why do I ask that question though? Because there was a point in my life um, a while back where I thought I was the centre of the universe. I thought everything did revolve around me. And that's what I was told by the world. That's what I was told by the culture, by the media, that you are everything. The world revolves around you. And for you to get the best out of life, you need to look after you. Everything is about you. That's why you need to buy this, because it's all about you. You, 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 is what I was told the whole time. And growing up, I thought I was a pretty good kid. Um, I was a pretty good kid. I I had my morals. I, I didn't really do any bad things. But I grew up in this world where everyone was telling me that, I had to look after myself and I had to make sure I got everything out of life because it was all about me and what I could get out of it. And so my friends were starting to get into some things and they were living it up, living the lifestyle. And I started to feel like I was missing out. No one was helping me. No one was um, giving me what I wanted. I had to go out and do it myself. And so I started to do that. I um, Like I said, I was pretty good growing up. I never drank until I was 18. But then when I was 18, I started to hit it really hard. And I did that for many years, for many weekends. I was going out every weekend, um, not remembering anything, and going hard all the time because that's what it was about. I had to look after myself this time. And what did life mean? Life meant getting all the pleasures you wanted and making sure you were the one to look after it, to sort it out for yourself. So that's what I started to do. I started to get into the parties. I started to get into girls. I started to get into festivals. I started to get into the substances that come with that. And that was the type of lifestyle I was leading because it was all about me, right? It was all about making sure I was the one having a good time. I was thinking, when I was listening to Father Anthony Mary's homily, I thought maybe I should just record that and that can be the talk for tonight because what he was saying was just fantastic. He was talking about this ego of the world saying that we are the center of it all. We are the ones that have to look after ourselves. And that's exactly what I was doing. And the problem was I was never fulfilling myself, was I? I had these desires. I knew they were meant to be fulfilled. We all have these desires. But I kept doing this and none of it, none of it was fulfilling me. And, and I started to think, what's, you know, what's going on? And I thought I was living it up. I was loving life. But I just didn't know why after everything, after every festival, after every night out, after whatever, I felt horrible. 
How, how does that work? And I started to realize that the more I looked at myself, at what I need to get out of life, the less of myself I started to become. I started to become really selfish. I started to do things that were not me, that I never thought I would be able to do. I'll give a, a very small example. I went out with my uni mates one time. It was the same story as always. We got smashed before we were going out to a club. We got to the club and, um, you know, living it up. And then one of my friends at the beginning started to feel really sick. He had drunk way too much and he was all over the shop. So a friend of mine took him outside and we realized that he wouldn't be able to continue on. We had just gotten into this nightclub. We were angry because... <laughs> He was now not doing well and we had to sort of look after him. And so we thought, all right, we'll, ca we'll, get, we'll call a cab and, um, and we'll send him home. Obviously, he can't stay out. And so we did that. We called the cab. We gave, him, gave the cab all the money to get this guy home and sent him home. Now, I think about that time now and I think, what kind of a friend was I to shove a mate of mine who trusted me into a cab with a guy with no one, the cabbie who he'd never known, give the cab guy money, expect the guy to look after him. And I think about that time and I think, you know, that wasn't me. But you know what? The more I was thinking of myself and looking after myself, my thought that night was, I didn't want to leave this party. I just got here. I was having a great time. It was more important for me to enjoy the party than to look after my mate. What happened was my mate ended up getting home. He stumbled somehow to his front door. The cabbie didn't look after him. He just dropped him off. And his brother, thankfully, was up at that time. And my friend was so in such a bad state, he, he actually had to go to hospital. I can't remember if his stomach was pumped, but he had some type of treatment in a hospital the next day. That's how bad he was. And that's how great a friend me and this other mate were, to just shove him in there because it was more important for us to keep partying. That's just a small example of what this type of view and lifestyle was doing to me. There were countless more examples and even worse examples than that. Because I started to look out for myself. What was most important for me? Because that's what life was all about. Me. And no one else. And so friends, family, everyone else suffered because of it. I want to ask the question again. Hands up if the world revolves around you and if you're the center of the universe. All right. There was a hand up. Did you guys see who it was? There was a hand up. <laughs> hands up if the world revolves around you. Correct. <laughs> hands up. If you're the center of the universe. Correct again. Thank you, Jesus. John Paul the Great, when he became Pope, who knows what his first encyclical was? It was? Redeemer of men. Redeemer of men. Hominis. Now, this guy was a gun. We all know it, right? He's fantastic. So the first encyclical he ever wrote as Pope 
clearly has to be unbelievably important. Does anyone know the first line of the encyclical? Because to me, that would be a hugely important line. It's the first encyclical he's ever written, and it's the first line he's ever written as Pope to anyone. That line is as incredible as it should be. It's basically the meaning of life. It starts with, The Redeemer of man, Jesus Christ, is the center of the universe and of history. That's the first line he ever wrote to his people as Pope. The Redeemer of man, Jesus Christ, is the center of the universe and of history. Every single thing he writes after that, every single thing he says after that, comes back to that first line. Everything about the Bible comes back to that, to that line. The fact that Jesus is the center of the universe. Why is he the center of the universe? Because he's God. He was there before the universe was even created. Why is he the center of history? Because God became man. He became flesh. He came into our history at an exact point of time as a person. He is the center of the universe. Everything revolves around him. So why was it at the beginning that I was acting like the world revolved around me? That's why I was stuffing it up. I was stuffing it up because that's who we need to place in the centre of the universe. The meaning of life is putting Jesus in the centre of the universe and us out of that centre. That's the meaning of life. How does that work? What happens when we put Jesus in the centre of the universe? We realise his call for us, which is to love as he loved. Simple. And... Do you know why that makes sense? Why that makes sense as the meaning of life? Imagine if the meaning of life was, was what the world said, being successful, doing everything you wanted, getting money, getting you know, parties, get, everything like that. What would happen to all the people in Africa who will never be successful with money? What would happen to the people in jail for the rest of their lives who will never experience good times? They should just kill themselves. If that's what the meaning of life is, then their life is pointless if they will never reach it. The meaning of life has to be something that every single person, no matter where they are, how old, can achieve. Loving as Jesus loved is something everyone has the capacity to do, no matter where you are. Every single person can love. Not every single person will receive love from others, but every single person has that capacity. And that makes sense. That is what the meaning of life is all about. And I started to realize this. I started to realize I wasn't the center of the world. Jesus was. And this, this realization, this love, is what started to turn my life around. When I started to realize this, I started to... When we say we need to love as Jesus loved, how did Jesus love? What did he do to show that love? Exactly, he crucified himself. So loving as Jesus loved meant doing that for other people and for our own weaknesses and sin. And that's what I started to do. I started to crucify myself in these little ways. I started to 
stop getting into pornography. I started to stop going out, getting smashed and using things. I started to stop doing this. And it, it took me a while. It took me a long while. But I started to crucify myself and started to love as Jesus loved. And you know what? I started to become myself again. I started to become the person that I truly felt I was. And that's the incredible thing here. Because the more we put Jesus in the center of the universe, the more we realize who we're meant to be. Because we have no idea who we're meant to be on our own. When we do that, when we put ourselves in the center of the universe, that's the meaning of death, not life. Jesus, the center of the universe, is the meaning of life. Us in the center of the universe is the meaning of death. Because we look inward. We focus only on ourselves. Nothing is about anyone else. We die to ourselves. We have no idea who we are. Look at the, look at the, the greatest sort of sinners on earth. Let's look at Hitler. What did people say about Hitler? He was a monster. He was an animal. They were saying words which were inhuman. Because when we focus only on ourselves, we become less human, less of the people we're meant to be. That's why those words make sense. Why it makes sense to call someone so horrible a monster. It's not, it's not good to do, but you can see why people say that, because that's what happens to us. The saints were the most themselves of anyone else on earth. That's, that's how it works. I started to, um, to realize this, and I started to come closer to God because of it. I started to become more myself. Because what started to happen was that where I was looking for fulfillment in those desires myself, Jesus started fulfilling those desires for me. And when that happens, you start to receive true joy. I started to know this is the meaning of life. And to the rest of the world, I, I had nothing. I was no more parties, no more girls, no more this. So I, I should have been miserable. But I was the happiest I ever was. I was the happiest I ever was because I started to put Jesus in the center of the universe where he belongs. And everything started to revolve around him. Or I tried. And when Jesus asks us to love as he loved and to crucify ourselves, he says it to us simply. The meaning of life. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And that's what we need to do. Mother shared just um, earlier with you, um, Sarah and I had a, had a cross as well. Um, and it's interesting Mother shared it because I want to share it too and go a bit deeper. So, so thank you, Mother. Um, for two and a half years, Sarah, after we got married, we weren't able to have children. And... Um, and when you're a married couple and you're trying to have children, it's probably the hardest thing to go through, something like that. And so um, it was very difficult. For two and a half years, it was, um, it was a huge suffering for us um, and, a, and a cross we had to carry. And you know, we didn't carry the cross with a smile on our faces and, and all happy all the time. There were points we were angry with God. There were points we were whinging, we were, we were crying, we were crying out to the Lord, we don't understand why are you doing this to us. We were really unhappily carrying this cross. 
But one thing we were doing was despite it all, and I remember this, I would say to God, I don't understand it, I'm angry, I'm whatever, but your will be done. And that's what I want. And when, you know, my will didn't want that at the time, but I knew I wanted what, the, what God wanted. And that's what got us through. We kept carrying the cross with Jesus, and it was one of the toughest times. It got to a point, um, after about a year or so, we, um, we, we, we uh, saw a doctor and we were looking at um, NAPRO treatment, so it stands for natural reproduction, and, and looking at ways that we could help with this um, in, a, in a positive way. And, um, and even that started to take its toll on Sarah and t- toll on us. So um, after a while, we, we stopped that as well. And, and we took a break after a year of, of, of doing this treatment. We took a break. And the doctor said to us, she was a beautiful person, helped us so much. And, um, and she said, look, um, it's a really good idea to have a break because it is, it is very tough. Um, to be on this treatment for a while sometimes. And, um, but she said, you know, it's obviously highly unlikely you'll get pregnant while you're off the treatment. But if you do, it's highly likely something um, bad might happen because of, of where you're at with, with different hormones and whatnot as well. Um, and so we were aware of that, but we took a break and we just wanted to, we just wanted to give that time to the Lord. And we did. And, um, and during this time, you sort of think, all right, well, if we can't have kids... Um, what, what is the Lord calling us to? And we thought adoption, we might be called to adoption. Um, and that was an easy thought to have. Um, what was harder though was, um, was the thought of maybe fostering a child. Um, I remember mother um, spoke to me about that a while ago when we were going through this. And I hated that idea. I didn't like the idea of having to love a child, look after him, and then them going anytime. Because when you foster, you have to give the child back. When you adopt, the child is always yours. It's easy to do. But fostering isn't. So I was, I was never open to it. And, um, and I can genuinely say my life changed um, one year when I, um, I heard a talk at a reach out. And, and some of the people were here in Sydney by Paul Ellard. He's actually going to be giving a talk uh, later in the mission school. And he gave a talk on St. Joseph. Um, and it was on the feast of St. Joseph. And um, it was an incredible talk. It was beautiful. Um, because one thing that I really took out of that talk was A, the, the great husband and father that St. Joseph was. But I also realized that he wasn't a biological father. He was only a foster father. He wasn't an adoptive father either. Because he knew Jesus was God's and he knew he had to give him back one day. Yet he was the greatest example of a father that ever lived. A human father that ever lived. And I thought, that just hit me when I heard that. that when I came to that realisation, it hit me. And I remember that night I came down, and I went to adoration, and I said, with all sincerity, I said, Lord, and I said, St. Joseph, I want to give my fatherhood and myself as a husband to you completely. I said, I want to be like you, St. Joseph. If I'm called to foster, adopt, or have my own child, whatever, I give that completely to you. And I meant it. I meant it because it was the first time where my will was in line with God's. And I said, God, I want whatever you want. And I meant it that time. And I said, 
if you do give me my own child, Lord, and Joseph, and Saint Joseph, I said, I promise to call him Joseph if he's a boy. Now, this was a promise that I sort of, when I said it, I thought, do I really mean that? <laughs> and the, the problem with that was, Sarah and I already had our name for our first boy for years. There was not even a discussion about it. He was going to be John Paul. He was our favourite saint, and that was it. We didn't even talk. Like, there was nothing to be discussed. The discussion was around the girl's name. We weren't sure about that. But a boy was always going to be John Paul. And so when I made this promise, I said, do I really mean it? No, I do. I do. And I did. I did. And, um, and I left it at that. And I didn't tell Sarah anything. Um, I thought, well, if it happens, uh, then we can talk. But, um, and then, um, and then this, this thought about fostering kept coming to my mind. And on our third anniversary, Sarah and I got married on the Vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday. And on our third anniversary, on the Vigil of, of Divine Mercy Sunday, on the Saturday, I remember I said to Sarah, you know, happy anniversary and whatnot, and I said, I, um, I really think that we should look into fostering. I really feel a call to that. And Sarah said, I do too, but um, here's your card, read that first. And in the card, she had said she had just found out she was pregnant. Oh. On our third anniversary, on Divine Mercy um, Eve. And, um, and we still feel that that's maybe what we're called to because we feel God was opening us up to that in this time of trial um, for a reason. And, um, and so we went straight back to our doctor because we knew that it was one of the most bittersweet feelings, finding this out. It was one of the happiest feelings I could have, but also bitter because I knew that there's a high chance something might go wrong. And I, I knew that. And so we went straight to the doctor. And, um, and the first thing the doctor said was look at the charts, did the calculations, and she worked out um, that the day of conception was the 19th of March, which was the feast of St. Joseph. The same night I made this exact promise. I kid you not. It was the night that he was conceived. And so um, when I found that out, I thought, okay, I have to tell Sarah <laughs> what else happened that night. And so I did. And, um, and Sarah was very moved as well. And we, we both knew that it was of the Lord, you know. Sarah did a blood test and everything with the doctor, and the doctor came back and said, this is a little bit surprising, but everything is normal. It looks like you won't have to see me most likely throughout the pregnancy. And that happened to be the case. And, um, and it's interesting because we had so many people praying for us. We had the community praying for us. And, um, and Sister, Sister John Mary was someone who was, who was praying very hard for us. And she actually, um, on her feast day, on, on the day that she was taking her first vows, um, it's, it's a very special day for any religious doing that. And there's an incredible amount of graces that you receive. Because it's almost like your wedding day, basically, as a religious. And so um, the sisters here, they, they make special prayer intentions on their first vows. And I know Sister John Mary's, one of her prayer intentions was that Sarah and I have a child. And um, is Sister John Mary here? No? She's, oh, she's up the back there. So Sister John Mary, when, um, when did you make your first vows? What was, the, what was the day? 
Pardon? 12th of December, which was the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, who's the patron saint of the unborn. One year later, guess when Joseph was born? 12th of December, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Do you see how everything that happens here... Do you see how everything happening here, the way it all happened was something that I could, even if I wanted to, could never have planned. Not in a million years. For him to be conceived on the same day that I make a promise, then for us to find out on the exact day, the third anniversary, Divine Mercy Sunday, and then him to be born on that feast day where the vow... Do you see how all of that is just not possible for a human to do? And I mean, after, after that, I, I still kept praying. I thought, you know, I would really would like a little John Paul. And, and so recently I have been praying. I've been praying to John Paul to say, look, Lord, I'd, I'd love it if Joseph could have a little brother or sister. And, um, and you know, if it's your will, I'd like it to be a little John Paul. But um, anyway, we found out Sarah's pregnant. We only found out about three weeks ago, and that's fantastic news. And he's due on, on or she, he or she, we don't know. That's too early to tell. But the baby is due on the 15th of July, and that's significant. Wow! It's going to be a girl. Well, it's significant because the 15th of July is um, the World Cup final. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, God, we really need to time this well here, okay? The final's going to be at like 6am, 8am, let's start the later then and we're all good, right? But something Sarah pointed out to me, which was um, probably a little more significant, is, um, is that the day of conception for a baby due on the 15th of July is October the 22nd, which is the feast of St. John Paul II. I kid you not, you can look that up. Now, God's got a funny sense of humour. We may be having a girl, we may be having a boy, we don't know, but... I do know that God's hand is in this again. And if we have a girl, it's okay. She'll be Joanna Paula. <laughs> I'm kidding. She won't. That's a joke. But the reason I wanted to share this was this. Sarah and I, when we were going through the two and a half years, and that's a very long time to suffer in this way, without um, receiving this, this gift, um, we could have easily thrown our cross and gone, stuff this, I'm over it, gone IVF, um, stopped praying, told God, you know what, you don't love us, I don't love you. A lot of things could have happened like that. We could have carried our cross somewhere else without God. But um, the point of, that I was trying to make with the story was this. When I was focusing on myself, I was receiving no good for myself when I was making myself the center of the universe. As soon as I started to make God the center of the universe, and as soon as I was started to carry my cross, even though it was so tough and I didn't want to do it, as I kept Sarah and I kept carrying our cross with God, the irony of it was that God started to make it more about us. The more we started to make to put Jesus in the center of the universe, the more he started to put us in that center with him. 
And that's the great irony here. The more we want to put ourselves in there, the further from there we get. The more we put Jesus in there, the closer we get. And that's how things work. I mean, with saying this, I want to make it clear that it doesn't work that, you know, the more we give to God, he's going to be like a Santa and grant all our wishes. And I have to make this point, that's not how it works. Some people going on this on the same cross of, of not having children, some people will carry that cross for five years, ten years, their whole lives. Does that mean God doesn't like them? That they're doing it wrong? No way. Because what happens at the end of every cross? The resurrection. If you carry the cross with Jesus, it's not possible for you not to receive a resurrection. The greatest cross in the, the world has ever seen was the cross of Christ. The greatest resurrection the world has ever seen was the resurrection of Christ. That's not a link that's just coincidental. That is how crosses work. When we carry our cross with Jesus Christ, we will resurrect with him in that same cross. Now, some people may not see the resurrection in two and a half years, or five years, or ten years, or for their whole lives. But one thing I can say is the greater the cross, the greater the resurrection. That's a guarantee. And if you don't get to see the resurrection on this earthly life, then thank God, because you'll see it where it matters most in eternity. And that is how carrying the cross works. We don't have to carry it with a smile on our face and skipping after Jesus or something like that. He didn't say that. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. We just need to carry, even if we're complaining the whole time, follow Jesus. That's all we need to do with our cross. Even if we scream, shout like Sarah and I were doing, all we need to do is keep following him with our cross. Just don't go off course. Just don't dump your cross. Carry it and follow him. And I guarantee you, I can I say this, I can make the guarantee because it's not me saying it, it's Jesus saying it, that you will resurrect with Christ if you carry your cross with him. And I will say with that as well, it's not easy to do. It's really hard when you're going through these tough times in your life, like a couple who wants to have a baby. It's incredibly hard not to make yourself the center of the universe. If you're someone who's looking for your spouse or for your vocation in life, it's incredibly hard for those people not to make themselves the center of the universe. Anything like that, anyone who's going through a real difficulty like that, we need to understand and have such charity towards them because it's so hard not to make yourself the center. Because when everyone around you seems to be having this great joy and enjoying it and you're not, it's incredibly difficult. And I want to say that because I know people going through tough times, and I'm sure you, everyone here has that tough time. And I want to say to you, I know how hard it is not to make yourself the center of the universe. But I promise you, if you keep Jesus there, I have no idea how long you're going to be carrying the cross for, but the resurrection will come. Um... I want to just finish up um, with a bit of a story. 
I was praying about what to say for this talk yesterday, and I had an encounter with my son Joseph, and um, I realized he taught me the meaning of life in a two-minute encounter. I couldn't believe it. I was praying about it, and I thought, this guy, like God showed it to me so clearly upon reflection of this, right? Yesterday, Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, Joseph, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, Joseph got up after one of his naps. And when Joseph gets up in the morning, he's in a very good mood. But when he gets up after a nap, like anyone else, he's in a, just a, right? And anything that normally makes him laugh and happy won't. For at least a, a fair few minutes, right? And so he got up and he was pointing somewhere to the couch. So I, I picked him up, took him to the couch and he was just like that. And, um, and Sarah said, oh, he wants some water. So I gave him water. <laughs> Didn't want that. Started reaching out for something over there. And I looked to the side and we were in Sydney the last three weeks. And so the routine we had here in, in Tassie was, was put out, right? And um, one of the things I do with Joseph every night is I read him a book and then we say a prayer. And when we say a prayer, we have this little crucifix um, that I hold and we say a prayer to, and then I kiss, and then Joseph kisses, and it's really cute, and then, and then we go to bed. And, um, and I realized when I looked to the right, he was reaching out for this crucifix. And I thought, is that what he wants? And I'm going to go through some of the reflections I had after this, and you might be able to see on how Joseph was teaching me to make Jesus the center of the universe and to live out the true meaning of life. So the first thing he was doing was, and some of you have seen him do this, he does it all the time, desperately reaches out for something. What's that showing if I do that? What am I doing? What am I saying? Exactly, I want. My desire is for that. He was saying his deepest desire here is for Jesus Christ. Where I was stuffing it up, I was sending my desires elsewhere. But our deepest desire is for Christ Jesus. Now, this is what I was getting on reflection. Okay, so I picked up what he was desiring so badly. I brought it to him. And as soon as I gave it to him, he went like this. <laughs> Which is unheard of after a nap, right? <laughs> Nothing can make him... And what, what was that? What was that a symbol of? What was he doing there? No, no. When he was doing that face, what, what's that mean? He's happy. I'm happy. My joy is in this. Our joy is in Jesus Christ. I gave him Jesus in the crucifix and he lit up. The many of life, lesson two. Our joy <laughs> needs to be in Jesus Christ. Then he started doing this. He started holding Jesus. And, and some of you have seen how he does this as well. He goes... Ooh. Ooh. Wow. He didn't say wow, but ooh. What's he doing there? When do we sit and look at Jesus and say wow? Adoration. Adoration. I'm not kidding you. He was looking at our Lord and just going, ooh. Ooh. Number three, we need to adore our Lord. In the Blessed Sacrament. Adoration. That's the third lesson of the meaning of life. Next thing he started doing, now some of you have had this happen to you as well. This is Jesus' face. 
he started slapping Jesus' face. Now, that might seem really harsh, right? Like, Jesus is crucified on a cross, and here's Joseph slapping his face, right? But anyone who Joseph has done that to, what does it mean? It means I love you. Anyone, anytime Joseph slaps your face, he's saying, I love you. And Joseph does not slap inanimate objects like that. And he was slapping Jesus' face. He was saying, I love you. And that's exactly what we need to do when it comes to the meaning of life. We need to love, not ourselves, Jesus. Don't slap him in the face, but love him. <laughs> Joseph, we're trying to teach him. We're saying, gentle, gentle. And he's still, boom. So if he slaps you in the face, you know you love. <laughs> Next thing, he was lifting up the cross to me. He was giving me the cross. And I said, oh, thank you, Joseph. You keep going. And with a big grin on his face, he was giving me the cross, and I realized what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to kiss Jesus, like I always do before we go to bed. And then when I did that, he was able to do that too. And he kissed Jesus. He grabbed him, and he kissed him. And, and I did too. And that's the next lesson of the meaning of life, is to embrace the cross. Embrace Christ on the cross no matter how hard it is, and have reverence for him. And then, by this stage, you know, Sarah thought Joseph was just playing around, so she got a whole family on Skype, right, on FaceTime, and a whole family comes on, and Joseph's loving it, right? And we spent the last three weeks with them, and he had a ball. He loves the family. He loves his cousins. He loves his aunties, uncles, everyone, right? And they were all on this thing, and for the first bit, he wouldn't have a bar of it. He was just looking at Jesus. And then he started doing this. He started lifting Jesus up. And all the family going, oh, look, he's, he's lifting the trophy. They didn't know what, what it was. They're like, he's lifting a trophy. And then we're like, oh, it's just, oh he's, he's going to be a priest. He's going to be a priest. But what, what does it show when we lift Jesus up like this and look at him? When, when the priest lift Jesus up, lifts Jesus up during Mass and we're on our knees, what are we doing at that moment? Adoring. Adoring, but further than that. What are we doing? We're worshipping. So the final lesson Joseph taught me was the final lesson of the meaning of life, which is to worship Jesus Christ. And I think it was even three times that he picked him up like that. But he looked at him, he didn't even look at his favourite people. He lifted Jesus up three times like that. And it was a lesson. When I reflected on all this, I couldn't believe it. You just all got taught a lesson by a one-year-old child. How awesome is that? You can tell everyone how great mission school was. A one-year-old was teaching you the meaning of life. But literally, that's exactly what happened when I reflected on it. I couldn't believe it. It was incredible. And just so, you know... We don't paint a picture of like little saintly Joseph over there or something like that. He's not a saint or anything, you know, just yet. <laughs> Later on that night, we did do our prayers. I read him a book and then I took this cross out again, put it in front of him and he went, give me the book. <laughs> he wanted the book again. So, you know, he's not perfect. But, but that made me know all the more that this wasn't just a, you know, a toy he was playing with. Like this, the lessons that he was showing me in this little encounter yesterday when I was praying about what, I, what to say was incredible. And so 
I just want to finish um, basically on that note. And, um, and just to, to sort of say, when it comes to the meaning of life, in the end, it's about loving Jesus. And loving is Jesus' love. And it's all about him. He'll make it about you later, but it's all about him. Now maybe we can just finish off with a bit of a prayer. Um, maybe a bit of a meditation even. I'll give you, we've got a bit of time. I'll give you one minute maybe. So in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. So, um, Lord, I just want you to, to be present with us now. Um, and I just want to ask everyone here to meditate on the one greatest suffering in your life right now where the greatest temptation is to make it about yourself. Whatever that may be. And um, I just want you, want all of us to just meditate on that and, um, and just give it to Jesus at the start of this mission school. And pray that Jesus comes into the center of whatever that suffering may be in our lives. And just to give it all to Jesus. Give it all to him and see what happens. So let's just have a minute to make that prayer in our own hearts. So Lord, you asked us to love as you loved, to take up our cross and follow you. And we just pray together with um, this greatest um, suffering in each of our lives, Lord, that um, we give that entirely to you. <coughs> and we pray that you give us the strength to continue carrying the cross with you, to follow you and never waver, despite the difficulties, despite our frustrations, our anger, our sadness. We give that to you, Lord, and we pray, especially during this mission school, that whatever you want to do in our hearts, that you may transform us to love like you. And on this great feast day of Mary, the Mother of God, we pray together and entrust this to Our Lady as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Mother of God, Saint Joseph, and all your holy angels and saints. Amen. That was Thomas Schuschak with The Meaning of Life and the Cross. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.